I'll be the first to say there's there have been plenty of things that haven't worked. The Agile brand has been very successful. I've actually launched a couple other podcasts since then, but I launched an, another show a few years back that I did a few episodes. It just wasn't working and I dropped it. And that's one of the things that I've I've learned as well is to be okay with quitting, failing. These are all like bad words and we're all kind of taught that they're that they're bad words, but I think it's how you fail and how you quit and what you do after you fail and you quit, right? So it's like, I look at failure as an opportunity to learn. I've learned much more by failing than I have by succeeding. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies with in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications. GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Today, my guest on Chief Influencer is Greg Kilstrom. He is a best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur, and serves as an advisor and consultant to top companies on marketing technology, marketing operations, customer experience, and digital transformation initiatives. Here are three things that you should know about Greg. First, he's a multiple-time co-founder and C-level leader who knows how to build and sell successful businesses. Number two, he now shares his business acumen through best-selling books and a top-rated podcast. His most recent book, Priority is Action, is a guide to help people make better decisions and follow through on them. His award-winning podcast, The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, now in its sixth year with over 450 episodes and 2 million downloads, discusses brand strategy, marketing, and customer experience with some of the world's leading experts and leaders. It is an awesome podcast that you have to check out. And number three... In addition to being a teacher, Greg is a lifelong learner. In fact, he is currently a doctoral candidate for a DBA in business intelligence. Greg has received a ton of accolades, and I am excited that today we add chief influencer to that list. Greg, welcome. Oh, thanks so much. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, it's always, you know, uh, even more special to interview somebody who is a super pro podcaster, and you have... (laughs) hundreds of episodes and I'm just really uh, you know inspired by how you have taken all your expertise working with clients and turned that into becoming you know a thought leader and expert that so many people turn to. And I'd love to just kind of start by going back a little bit and I just wonder, could you start by telling us what do you wish that you knew when you were starting your very first company? Now that you know, having built businesses and providing advice to you know so many leaders in the marketing space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lot lots of things, I guess, is the is the short answer. But you know, yeah, I started my first company when I was, you know, early 20s, uh, 23, 24, probably. So knew nothing about business, knew nothing about, 
you know, HR, operations, finance, you know, all, all of those. I was a web designer, um, you know, and I just thought it's the, um, I think they call it the, the entrepreneur's fallacy is, you know, I, I started a business thinking that it would allow me to do only what I loved all day long and, you know, everything would be great. And it ended up being, I got to do that a little bit, but then I also had to learn many, many other things, including the things that I, that I just mentioned. So yeah, you know, I, I think I wish I would have known a little bit more about, you know, balancing the books or, you know, just a little of what I was getting myself into, even understanding sales. I understood marketing because I have, you know, I have some of that in my background as well, but, um, you know, just a, a better understanding of, oh, wow, this is what it takes to actually keep the lights on in a business. And, you know, we started very small, but, you know, quickly enough grew with employees and that came with its own challenges, lots of opportunities too, but, but lots of challenges. So yeah, a, a little bit of context, maybe a little bit longer in the, in the world of work before I ventured out on my own. But, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about more today, um, I learned by doing and, and I learned by doing the wrong thing, um, more than I learned by doing the right thing. And so, you know, no, no regrets. <laughs> You know, it kind of reminds that there's that, you know, story in business of like the baker who loves baking and then the more successful the bakery becomes, the less baking they get to do because they have to figure out how to, how to scale that business. And that's probably a similar challenge for a lot of marketers, even when they're not entrepreneurs, right? Is the more successful you become in marketing and you work at a larger scale, you have to figure out how not just to do that one cool thing, but how do you scale that solution much broader. And that's a whole different set of challenges, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that, that actually, that challenge ended up teaching me that I liked a whole set of things that I didn't even know a existed, you know, back in my early twenties, but B that I, I, you know, I, I, I never even thought that I was the kind of person that would like to think about systems and processes and, you know, operationalizing and scaling and, you know, and all of those things now that come in really handy in my work with very large organizations but as a small growing you know digital marketing agency you know with turnover and client turnover employee turnover you know all of those things as well as growing pretty quickly at 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 various times i had we were just forced to learn how to do things in a repeatable way and and figure out in some cases how to do things for the very first time i mean you know started the company in 2003 and, you know, all of a sudden we had clients that wanted us to do social media marketing for them when that wasn't really a thing, <laughs> you know, when we started the company, like it was just kind of like YouTube started the year we started. So it's like, wow. you know, it was, it was, it was really interesting to, you know, be not, not ever really the first, but be on the, on the early edge of a lot of the things coming down. And it's kind of inventing processes as we go, because to your point, we just had to, we were, we were small enough that we had to be scrappy and, and be able to repeat things. And, but our clients expected us to, you know, be in the same league as much larger companies. Well, and maybe it's not the first in the world, but it's the first sometimes for the industry or it's the first for them if, for, if nothing else. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that brings a whole set of, um, and that is kind of how the landscape has maybe evolved a little bit is, you know, it's, it's not the first anymore. Sometimes it's figuring out how to scale something. So maybe that's a good kind of um, place for me to to say, okay, fast forward to where Greg is now, and you're speaking, you have 
ton of books, you know, more on the way. Um, and you have, you know, hundreds of episodes of this podcast. So who are you trying to influence now through um, your message and the content that you're producing? You know, who's your target audience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm reaching out to uh, what I could, uh, enter, enterprise organization leaders and what I call aspiring leaders. So, you know, those that, um, you know, there's, there's kind of the practitioner level that, you know, there are some, there are some areas where I, I know a lot and I have a depth of, of knowledge, but I think when it comes to leading and, and management, that's, that's an area where I think I have a lot to offer because I've not only been a doer and roll up my sleeves. Even now, you know, I work alongside teams and and often do a lot of work as opposed to just kind of not to denigrate coaches, but you know, a lot of time a coach is kind of a um, helping and giving some advice. But I'm doing less coaching and I'm doing a lot more hands on kind of work and and advice and and things like that. And so. I'm really reaching out to those leaders that need some advice of, you know, they aren't rolling up their sleeves and they have to manage and they often have to manage very large teams and very large budgets. And so they don't have the time to learn how to use a platform or what the latest trend in XYZ is. And so a lot of what I do is to give them the, you know, hands-on advice and just kind of thinking a few steps ahead kind of advice of here's what you need to be thinking about. Here's what you as a leader need to know about this. You don't need to know everything, but here's what you do need to know because I've always found as a manager, as a leader in in my own organizations, I do a much better job leading if I actually, A, if I did the job myself, you know, hands-on, but that's not always possible. But I need to know what the actual roles that the people that are reporting to me are doing in order to really effectively manage them. And so that's, that's really my, my focus is to try to give that kind of advice and, you know, it's in a, it's in a relatively narrow space of marketing technology and customer experience and, and really digital transformation along those lines. So when you had your agency, you know, you may have worked in some cases with you know, a nonprofit that had a really small marketing team. And now you're working with, you know, some of the largest enterprises in the world, and you're working with these enterprise marketers, which you mentioned is kind of your sweet spot in your audience. What do we need to know about the difference between enterprise marketers and just marketers? Yeah, I mean, I think um, at a smaller, in a smaller organization, uh, an individual has to do a lot more, um, let's say, diverse tasks, right? So, you know, you may be a VP or even a CMO at one of those organizations, but chances are you're pretty hands-on doing stuff. You know, if you have a team of 10 people or less um, and you're a CMO, you're doing a lot of marketing work yourself. If you have a team of 300 to, you know, a thousand people on your marketing team, you're doing a lot of management, a lot of strategy. Maybe you're writing some PowerPoints and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, it is really important that you understand how, you know, the the different types of work that are being done. But you're just not, you're thinking at a, at a different level and you're relying on a lot of, you know, managers sitting right below you. They could be VPs, they could be directors, whatever. But you're relying on a lot of those people to oversee the direct work. And so it's just, it's a different way of thinking. And it's a, it's, it's kind of more systems thinking that it is really knowing even specifically about marketing in some cases. And so 
Um, you know, so I, I've learned to speak to both of those levels of both, you know, again, I have to know how the marketing work is done, but I also have to know how organizations function and how the politics within an organization works and how employees, um, get okay with the idea of change, because I think that's one of the biggest things happening right now, regardless of, you know, I, again, I deal a lot in the marketing space, but regardless of what kind of function you work in, change is, is really all that's happening right now, other than the, you know, the day-to-day -day kind of serving customers. It's like everyone is going through some kind of transformation of systems and platforms and data and AI and, and all of that stuff. I guess I'm wondering, you know, in that environment, it sounds like a marketing leader could figure out a great solution that's going to work for them or for their enterprise. But if they can't manage the internal complexity or the politics or the other stakeholders, you know, they may not be able to get their solution through, right? And yeah. so I wonder if you could just talk more about that. I don't know if you have any you know, tips or examples about that, but it seems like such an essential skill. You wouldn't think a marketing leader would necessarily have to, you know, is that in the job description, I guess? But if it's, if it, you know, if you can't do it, then it doesn't matter if you have the best answer in the world. It's just, it's not going to be able to get um, implemented. Yeah, I mean, so two two things there. I mean, one, just the the statistics are, I would call them abysmal. So, you know, digital transformations, I think have a maybe a 30% success rate and that's mm. kind of rounding up. Um, wow. So, yeah, so we're, we're talking about 70% of these large scale initiatives are failing to hit their it's it's not that they all like completely fail and never never complete, but um, seventy percent are not hitting their primary objectives and and things like that. And so, um, you know, the way I look at it and the way I encourage others to look at it is to split it into pieces. That's always you know it's always easier to to kind of look at it in in different different elements. So, people, process, platforms. So you know what what usually happens is. A lot of dollars get spent on a platform and a lot of there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of attention and a lot of hope pinned on a platform to save the company or save the team or save the initiative. What ends up happening usually is it's the people and the processes that end up killing the project if if um, if it doesn't succeed, because, again, it's it's not even through malintent or lack of goodwill and or lack of wanting to do a good job, but people don't love change we're just you know that, that's not something that we're <laughs> we're we're we we like in general but um so getting people to be okay with change getting people to be okay with changing a process that maybe they've been doing for five ten sometimes more years if they've been in an organization um making all of that stuff line up with a new platform that's that's it's it's not easy and you know again the numbers um suggest that as well and so how you get it to be um, to work better is to do it in smaller pieces, do it more. At, you know, I'm a huge proponent of agile and, you know, sprint, smaller sprints and smaller initiatives to like get towards a goal. But it's also it also works. And it's also it's realistic because we cannot know what's going to what the world's going to be like three years from now. But we can have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be like three months from now. And so let's get to three months. Let's get to six months so on and so forth and people are going to be more okay because they're going to they're going to have helped and been part of achieving something and they're when you make them part of the process instead of saying hey your job is changing 
we'll tell you when it changed. <laughs> you know, we'll get back to you in 12 months when when something's done. That's just a recipe for disaster. You think it is harder or easier or different in today's kind of hybrid virtual world to you know get the right people to come together to um, address change? Uh, you know, how is it? How is I guess how has change changed since uh, you know you know, over your career, but particularly over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, you know, I always in my career before I. Um, you know, before I sold my agency and and kind of became independent, that was about six years ago. So you know, pre pandemic. But um, you know, I always my my agency. Everybody came into the office. I mean, the only time we didn't work in the office was when there was a snow day, and and then everyone was disappointed because we could technically work remote. And <laughs> I feel terrible now sometimes, but like we made everyone work even when it was snowing because we could work remotely. But anyway, um, that That's said. I've, you know, I've been working with, this is one of the things that is kind of interesting to me. You know, I've been working with, you know, multinationals and, you know, um, very large organizations that are pretty spread out geographically, even if they're, you know, in the U.S. with several offices. You know, I've been working with them for quite a while now. And um, so this idea of, you know, hybrid work and, you know, I was I was already doing that pre-pandemic with, you know, there's plenty of clients that I never met before the pandemic, I still haven't met in person, you know, post pandemic. Um, you know, I think there are benefits to being together and, you know, that that kind of in person interaction. But I, I also I mean, I'm a huge proponent of remote work. I mean, I work from home almost all the time, unless I'm at a conference or once in a while, a client visit or something like that. But so, you know, personally, I don't think it should really be a barrier. I think some people I, I'm also an introvert. So maybe that's part of it too. If I were more an extrovert, then there might be some energy that I'm not getting from from those interactions as well. So, you know, some of it is subjective um, from my from my perspective. But I don't think that working remote and working hybrid should be an excuse for lack of creativity. And, you know, I, I think there's been studies that show, you know, numbers can show you what you want them to show. There's been studies both ways. I mean, some there's been some lack of innovation, some, you know, it's really the the amount of innovation that happens at the coffee maker or the water cooler if they still have water coolers um you know it's it's kind of it's overblown as far as what what a detriment it is to not have that in my opinion yeah that's a good point i can't necessarily think of any groundbreaking ideas that came up around the the nespresso machine maybe is the new water right. cooler so um you know and folks still do intentional offsites, but techno marketing technology is, you know, because created some really great platforms to keep people in touch in ways they couldn't be before. So yeah, well, and to your point, I think focused efforts are, are you know, like an offsite, a, like a, a focused effort to actually, you know, our purpose here is to brainstorm and come up with good ideas. Yeah. I can see the benefit of doing that in person. There, there are some things that are missed when you're on Zoom. And, you know, there's yeah. always that one or two people in a, in a big meeting that, you just know they're working on something else, even though they're technically looking at the screen or whatever. But like, I'll, I won't say that that was never me. But um, you know, the I something is missed in in some cases. But I think you know you also gain so much by having more time at home or you know with your partners, your kids, your whatever. Like, there's there's a lot of things that 
I think we all kind of realized we were missing during the, you know, when, when we had the pandemic, lots of terrible things happened and, you know, not, not to make it into a good thing all of a sudden or anything, but I think we started to realize when we were at home so much work is, is work, <laughs> you know, like there's, yeah. there's so we can get work done, but also kind of have a little bit of a life or a little bit more of a life. Um, and still, still get the work done. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I try to make, make good out of, of terrible things when possible. And so, you know, I think that is one good thing that could, that came out of that. Yeah. I want to ask, you know, so Greg, I've obviously known you for a long time since yeah. you were in your, your previous life of, of having a successful agency and just, you always were very well respected and had a great reputation. And, um, I've seen many business folks who've tried to have another chapter and maybe tried to write a book, try to launch a podcast with a lot of those efforts, obviously not getting far off the ground. You've been so successful in doing that, at least looking from the outside, seeing, you know, multiple books and bestsellers and a podcast that has millions of downloads. And so I'd love to just ask if you could talk to us a bit about how you have broken through um, how you have sort of, you know, really you're a chief influencer. That's why you're here today and how you've been able to do that in a really fragmented and noisy world and, and what you've learned along the way, uh, particularly, you know, there's probably some things behind the scenes that, that we can't see lessons that you've learned as you've built up your own personal brand, but you've built up the agile brand, um, of books and podcasts. So what, what, what can you tell us? We are all ears. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you've mentioned the things that worked. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of things that didn't work, you know, is is the first one. And, you know, I'll, um, you know, I'll be the first to say there's there have been plenty of things that haven't worked. You know, I, um, you know, the Agile brand has been very successful. I've actually launched a couple other podcasts since then, but I launched, a, you know, another show a few years back that I did a few episodes, it just wasn't working and I dropped it. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've, I've learned as well is to be okay with, you know, quitting, failing, these are all like bad words. And, you know, we're all kind of taught that they're, that they're bad words, but I think it's how you fail and how you quit and what you do after you fail and you quit. Right. So it's like, I look at failure as an opportunity to learn. I've learned much more by failing than I have by succeeding. Um, and I think a lot of people do that as well. And, and I would say a lot of people um, that have been much more successful than me, maybe in the, their first chapter of their their career, um, I've, I've seen a lot of them. Only what I can say, I, I only know what I see from the outside, of course, but um, it seems like there's a level of comfort that's kind of achieved when you get to a certain place. And um, I've always strived, and I can't say I've been 100% successful in this, but I've always strived to not take anything for granted and to always um, try to approach things with with a bit of humility and a bit of like, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> like day to day. And to say, okay, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn something from this. I mean, you know, to, to use an example from way back, um, you know, I, I never did public speaking until I think like 2011 or something like that. I was terrified of getting up in front of people, um, just could barely like the first time I was on a, I was on a panel. It was the very first time it was an event in DC. Someone was kind enough to like put me on that panel. 
I don't even know what I said on like, I, I think I blacked out during it. I was so nervous and I think I said some stupid stuff, but you know what? I got out of there. I had some great support. My team from the, the agency was there. They like clapped and like, were super nice and, and probably, you know, lying through their teeth when they said it was, I did a good job, but like, God bless them. But, um, you know, I, I, I was uncomfortable, but I, I started getting more and more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I, I think that's that's what I've learned most about anything is if I feel a little bit uncomfortable, I should do it more and I should do it again until I'm, you know, more comfortable with it until I feel better. I think there's a difference between being uncomfortable and just feeling like something is just the wrong fit and I just hate it and it's just, it's sending me off in a direction that I don't want to be in, you know? So I think understanding the difference between those two things, I'm getting really good at that, I would say. Um, but yeah, you know, when I, when I find something where I'm like, oh, I don't know, that's, that might be a little weird, or I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like, that's the sure sign that I must try it once. <laughs> so yeah. That's, I think that's such a great takeaway because, you know, sometimes we get that like feeling and that feeling, is it saying, don't do this? Or is it saying like, do this, you know? And it right, sounds right. like that kind of, you've discerned that that feeling of discomfort. discomfort. And I love what you said, you'll get um, comfortable being uncomfortable. What a great thing <laughs> for us to all take back because it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, that's just something that you can really internalize. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, another, another one of my learnings. I mean, I did a, after I sold uh, the the agency, um, I did a couple startups. Um, one of them, I exited the other, um, you know, I, I learned we we did a ended up doing a small acquisition, um, or got acquired um, from it. But I learned that I actually don't like being a CEO of a tech company. You know, I, I thought I would be great at it. And like, I had this amazing idea and blah, blah, blah. And had I had an amazing team helping me with it. But uh, looking back on it, I've learned to really be comfortable that I'm actually, I'm really good at helping other people like make their ideas better and achieve something bigger as part of a team. And, you know, I may be a leader in, as part of that team. I may be a key part of that team, but my role isn't to be a great inventor or a great, you know, again, CEO, probably ever again, I never say never, I guess. But you know, I, I've kind of found where where I'm good at helping to consult and make things make existing things better or make new ideas happen. And that's, that's, it, it took a little bit that was that was a tough thing to realize, um, because I, I kind of had this picture of myself um, as something else. But once I once I kind of embraced that, I'm I'm so much happier. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned kind of that role that you like to play now in helping people get better and the learning. And I mean, you must be learning obviously so much about technology. You are already a technologist and an expert. I think all leaders need to understand how new technology is going to impact them and their businesses. And um, this is a real sweet spot for you. So I was wondering, what lessons you can share that you've learned recently about how um, leaders can see new innovations that are coming and how they, you know, are experiencing them and, and you know, how they should adapt to them. In, in particular, obviously, artificial intelligence is one that we're, we're talking a lot about. So 
Um, yeah. What's kind of on your mind in that in that space? Yeah, I mean, I I think we're well past the the point where anyone, you know, particularly leaders, can say, "Well, I'm not a technologist, or I'm not an engineer, or you know, you don't need to learn how to write code." In fact, probably a few years from now, no one but a but a handful of people need to know how to write code. But um, you have to understand technology if you're going to be a leader in an organization. I don't care what part of the organization you're in. Again, I'm all, I'm very focused in the marketing realm, which has a lot of relationship to technology. But, um, you know, just to talk about AI in particular, like you've got to try out, like if you haven't used ChatGPT by now, like, first of all, where have you been? Right, if you haven't even tested it, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if you don't, if you don't understand the difference between this tool and that tool, like you don't have to use them all. But like, you should understand, I mean, you know, one, one stat I saw, um, I wrote a, an article for Forbes about this even, but something like a, a large percentage of employees, more than 30% are using these tools, these generative AI tools without telling their bosses that they're using them. Okay, so that's, that's a huge problem on many levels. I mean, you know, if you're in a highly regulated um, industry, there, there's huge like compliance and legal issues there. But even in any company anywhere, if you're an employee using those things and afraid to tell your bosses that that you're using them, there's there's some real gaps in understanding and expectations that need to be solved. And, and from the leader perspective, you need to understand when, where, and how these tools can be used when they're terrible to use and a real person should do all of the work instead. Um, you just need to understand this stuff and not just say, oh, well, you know, the the kids will figure this out and they'll bring us some ideas or whatever. No, you as a leader need to understand this stuff. Again, you don't have to use every single thing that comes out, but you need to set some guardrails. And and the, the rule can't be no, <laughs> you know, that because um, it's we're, we're already past that. You know, we passed that a year ago, at least, um, to just flat out ban the tools. Um, at this point, you need to be able to have some kind of perspective. And it's okay to say no here, here, and here. There just has to be a yes somewhere. Um, yeah. Otherwise, people are going to leave. They're, they're going to, because they, uh, employees of all kinds, like they want to use these tools. It's the future of work. And, you know, to simply ban them is just, it, it actually doesn't make sense. Um, it's it's counterproductive, but to understand how to use them, I think I think that's part of the role of a leader. You know, it's funny, um, years ago, you probably remember this, a lot of corporations like banks banned their employees from using social media. Yeah, yeah. Same way that some companies are banning the use of AI. And now when you fast forward, those companies are hiring people to train their employees how to use social media for their jobs. And right. so it went from a no to like, actually, we're going to pay because we want you to do this. And of course, all of those employees are behind and the culture is behind because everybody was so scared of it and told they couldn't do it that, right. you know, they've not begun to flex those muscles. And so I'm sort of interested to see how that happens with AI because, you know, now we're seeing AI just built into so many things that the thought that you would ban all AI is you know, a bit laughable because, I mean, you have to say, well, what does that mean since it's yeah. integrated in Zoom? You know, <laughs> so I mean, well, it's right. Like and, you know, the at the companies that I work with now, I mean, they're, you know, at, at the scale that a lot of them are, are working at, it's there definitely are some, you know, there's 
for any company, there's there's some ethical and and legal and sometimes compliance issues, but um, the industry is caught up really quickly in building tools that don't send your data out to the you know the web at large and you know keep your keep your company's data private and you know it's like there there are plenty of solutions out there to do that. I, I think it's more now about what can you do like what what would make the most sense to do and you know even even whether you're very small or small huge organization i think it's also about you know prioritizing what you do and when you know what are the things that automating would really really help you know what where are the most human errors already let's automate that stuff i mean you know banks have been using fraud protection for years that is automated i mean that's ai you know so it's not like it's not like, uh, you know, we've been, I mean, AI has existed for decades. So that's the other thing is that it it sometimes feels like AI was invented last year or something, yeah. but it's been around, you know, as long as, as long as computers were machines and not people, um, you know, the AI has existed in, in some form. And so, um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it, it really comes down to, you know, first for those that are a little bit newer as, as an organization to this or as a leader to this, it's like, okay, find some use cases and kind of bring everybody along for the ride with you and, and learn together. And you're going to, you're going to mess some stuff up. So make those first use cases like low stakes, but, yeah. but do it, you know, if you haven't already, you know, start doing it and do it formally as a, as an organization, not just ad hoc and, you know, where you don't know what this person in the corner is doing and where their data is going and all that stuff. What are some of the ways that you use AI and automation? Yeah, I mean, I I use it a lot. I have several tools that I work with depending on, you know, what I need to do. I mean, you know, for my podcast, you know, I've got, um, you know, automated, you know, transcripts generated and social posts and clips and all those kinds of things, um, you know, I'm always playing with with things like that just to make, uh, you know, for the for the show, I have a very small team. You know, I have a team that you know does production on on it, but I do a lot of the promotion myself. So anything that can automate that, even the process of booking guests and all that, is highly automated. Um, and you know, I've got from from a writing perspective. I mean, I've never published anything that is like straight out of you know, GPT or something like that. But I, I use it a lot to help, um, you know, whether it's to give me ideas or to improve something a little bit that I've started or or stuff like that. And I mean, I have like three or four different writing tools that I'll use. And I'm, I'm, I have kind of a sense of like, what's going to get me the best results um, for what type of effort, you know, some things are a little bit better at longer form versus shorter form versus brainstorming and, and all the or like reading stuff from the web versus, you know, it's a large language model that's already, you know, kind of crawled the web as of years ago or something like that. So, you know, just kind of understanding that just kind of always, um, you know, always playing with stuff. And I, anytime that I do something once I've, and I, this, this comes from my days at the agency. Like if I do something once as I'm doing it, I'm thinking about, well, how can I automate this the second time that I do it? And it's not always possible, but it's possible a lot of the time. And that's that's what I try to do. Everyone's heard of ChatGPT, of course. I wonder, is there one tool that you would recommend other leaders or communicators you know, maybe look at or, um, you know? Yeah, sure. Out? Yeah. You know, one one of the tools I think that's pretty good for marketers is called Jasper. So it's a, it's a writing tool. I think it has some image, image capabilities, but not... Um, 
it's it's not as strong there. But yeah, Jasper's pretty good. I like it'll it it does a pretty diverse range of content creation. You know, it'll do like long form blogs and emails and and whole campaigns and stuff. So I I use that again. It's always as with any of these things, it's like. 80% there maybe when it's yeah. when it's done sometimes a little bit less but it's like 80% there is amazing you know and, and right yeah it with anything it's like it depends on the prompt right so if i give it very specific instructions i get i get some pretty good results and then again you know 20 25% effort to clean it up and make it feel like mine and, and all that stuff gets gets a long way um, yeah, I mean, I also have some other, like I have a local copy of Llama 2 running and my, I have a little terminal up. It's like kind of my work, my coworker almost. So it's just like always there. I'll like ask it questions and see what it says back or whatever. So, um, you know, that's more, ex I'm experimenting with like training it and, and stuff like that, but that's more, uh, like a, a side project, I guess. The introvert's friend, you could call it. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your, your permanent Lava terminal up. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you. I think a lot of leaders can sort of get overwhelmed by like FOMO. You know, or they look around and oh my gosh, this person has a podcast. This person just wrote another book. This person has a huge LinkedIn following, or they're on TV interviews, or whatever. Right? And I mean, the list goes on. I mean, you 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 can never do everything, and sure. you have to figure out what to focus on. But part of that's to figure out what to stop doing. And you mentioned earlier, you know, starting a podcast and stopping that podcast. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about kind of knowing where to focus and, you know, maybe also knowing, um, realizing where you've made progress by stopping and experimenting. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, I, I wish there was an easier formula to know exactly when to stop. But, uh, you know, a lot of it's kind of a gut reaction. But, you know, as a, as a marketer, I look at the numbers too. So, you know, I'm pretty, I get pretty obsessed with metrics and stuff when I'm, particularly when I'm starting something and, you know, when it's at critical points. So, um, you know, I think it's, I just don't think there's, there needs to be a lot of shame in stopping something. You know, I think the world is pretty like if your intentions are good and you're not like doing something at the expense of other people, you know, I'll give the 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 moral caveat there. But it's like, I think the world is pretty forgiving of people that try something and it doesn't work and they move on. And I I mean, I look at other people that, you know, you you end up remembering the things that unless it's like notoriously bad, like you end up remembering the things that people are successful at and the things that they talk about. And again, there's plenty of things that I I've stopped doing. I mentioned the podcast. There's probably some other things I could mention, but um, you know, I'd like to think that people are happy when my podcast gets better guests on it because it's better content. You know, it's not just about me. It's about the guests that I'm able to get because it's more popular and because those guests are from well-known brands and have amazing experience, more better experience than than I do. Not only am I learning, but I hope that my my listeners are learning. And so, you know, it's it's a win-win. You know, it's and and it's at no one's expense. You know, and I and I think that's that's the critical thing. And so, you know, when I see something where I'm not getting a return out of it, whether it's financial or just a I like doing it or you know some other kind of thing, and also I don't. I don't perceive that anyone else is getting a return out of it. Like why, you know, keep putting good money after bad, so to speak, even if it's not financial. Um, 
I think so many people kind of fall into that sunk cost fallacy, that 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 bias that I just I learned I learned the hard way. I'll, I'll say you know with with one of the startups that I was part of that it's just better to walk away when you can and you know take care of the people that have taken care of you, but like walk away you know when when you need to and and again i think people are people are are willing to overlook those kinds of things and and willing to look at look at the successes i want to ask you and you'll you're going to know why i'm asking you this question but how do you feel about your first book now that you've written so many when you look back at it yeah i mean i um I pulled it from Amazon and um, I have I have some copies, you know, someone could probably twist my arm and like look at it or whatever if they really wanted to. I don't recommend it. But, um, you know, I it was the first time I wrote a book. I didn't know how to write a book like I I didn't take a class to write a book. I didn't pay money to a coach to help me write a book or or whatever, you know, no, nothing against anyone that that has done that. But like. I always just learn by doing. And so my first book, like I'll say it's, it was okay. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a nice pamphlet. So we'll put it that way. It was, you know, short. It was at this point, it was about web design and, you know, I wrote it in 2016. So very out of date as of, you know, as of this year anyway, but, um, it taught me something. It taught me a little bit more how to write a book. The second one I did, I learned a bit more and now I, you know, I'm 21 in, um, now I feel like I know how to write a book, but I've always independently published my books as well. And so, you know, as of this year, I'm actually working with a publisher for the first time on some, on some books and they're teaching me how to actually write a book. You know, I, I wrote 21 books thinking I was getting better and like, I got this. And now like I'm working with a publisher and they're like, well, no, you need to do it this way, not that way. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So like, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not embarrassed of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting that book out on for everyone to read that very first one, but it's a learning, like, I'm, I'm proud that I know so much more. And I'm actually, I'm honored that someone looked at my current books, even though they know more about publishing than I probably ever will and said, you know what, we want Greg to write another book for us and, and we're going to distribute it globally and translate and blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's an honor to be able to do that and to have come so far to be able to do that. So yeah, it's a, you know, it's, as they say, it's a journey, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, we had talked about that before and that's why I wanted to bring it up, but I think it's really powerful to hear somebody who's written 21 books who goes, gosh, I look back at the first one and whoa, I've learned so much since then, right? I mean, what right. like a great frame to say, look how far I've come. And now I'm at this new inflection point where I'm gonna be working with a publisher, kind of a new era of how you're doing it. And I still have so much more. So hopefully you'll, you know, look back at book 21 and go, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than I was then. And that's not a bad thing. That's like a really good thing. And, you know, whether somebody's thinking, well, maybe I should create a LinkedIn account because I'm a CEO. People keep telling me, but I just have never really posted. And yeah, whatever your first post is, you're probably gonna look back in a year and go, oh, that's not that great compared to what I'm doing now. But that's a good thing because that means right, right. it's the first step that paves the way for a lot of progress. And I just really appreciated when you and I talked about that before and you sharing it today because you know, a lot of folks aren't necessarily willing to to go there and say that. And, um, but it's much more inspirational, I think, for others 
to hear that. And it also just shows like you are, I mean, like we said, of one of the three things you should know about you're a lifelong learner, you know, now you're in this doctoral program and you're learning all this stuff. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that is essential if you want to continue to expand your influence in a fast changing world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting the, the doctorate because um, I know that one of my weak points is research. And, you know, I've done second party research for all my books, but I've never done first party research for any of them. And so, you know what, that would make my books, my 22nd book a lot better is to actually do, you know, first, first party research and to have a, a rigor to the process and, and things like that. And so, you know what, I'm I'm doing it. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I mean, I literally just started this month. So, you know, it's uh, two years from now, I may come back on your show and be like, Oh, yeah, I dropped that. But, um, but, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm hoping I'll, I'll, I'll stick with it. And you can call me doctor next time we, we come. I was gonna say, or, or you'll, you'll be Dr. Kilstrom when you when <laughs> right. right. Back. So uh, just to, to wrap up, I wanted to just ask you, I know a lot of leaders find inspiration outside of their just sort of normal sphere that they're in every day. And I wondered if you could just share any place that you've found inspiration um, for the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I intentionally try to expose myself to things that have nothing to do with marketing or technology, or even things that I'm not immediately like drawn to from an interest perspective. So you know, I mean, everything from I've read books on math that I probably understood about like 10% of because uh, I'm just not a mathematician. I, you know, watched science documentaries, history documentaries, you know, all those kinds of things just to like expand. There is something to be learned from just about. And if something is quality content or if there was good intent put into something, there's something to be learned from it. And I, I just, I try to embrace that. And I try to push myself and not just into things that I know I'm going to agree with or that I know I'm going to like, but actually intentionally things that I know I may not agree with or that I wouldn't necessarily pick up off the shelf if it was sitting there. But you know what? I'm because it's, you know, because I'm not drawn to that. There, there must be, it's the, it's like the uncomfortable thing almost. It's like, I was going to say, that kind of pulls us back to our quote about. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, you know, it's, so it's, there's a, there's a lot of stuff and, um, you know, there's, there's so much out there. There's so much out there. I'll never learn, but I'm, you know, I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> I love it. Greg, for folks who want to learn more about you, just tell us like websites, social media, where should they go? Yeah, sure. So two things, um, LinkedIn, I'm super active on. So um, just search for Greg Kilstrom on LinkedIn. And then my website is just gregkilstrom.com. You can also get to it from the Agile brand. It's probably a little easier to spell than my last name. So um, theagilebrand.com. Um, so yeah, would love to hear from everybody. And uh, check out the uh, the new book that Greg has out, which is awesome. I got an advanced copy, Priority is Action, Guide to Help People Make Better Decisions and Follow Through on Them, as well as the the podcast and some other great books, 21 of them and more on the way. Um, Greg, really appreciate you spending time with us today. Uh, and I just, I really will take away. It's a good lesson. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Thank you for yeah. spending time with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. 
If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time, 